0: On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Anne-Marie O'Dwyer, chatting all things the psychiatry of cancer.
1: I want to say that it's very common to be very distressed, to have a very prominent psychological response to cancer, that they are not alone, that lots of other people feel in that way, and that it's important for them to have information. Information is power, but it has to be the right information.
0: As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. This is an Irish independent podcast.
1: Today on the Indo-Daily, the mystery of the father who disappeared twice. Nestled on the banks of the Blackwater River, the picturesque market town of Formoy would become the unlikely scene of a curious double vanishing of the same man. Now, half a century later, an abandoned son is seeking to unravel the secrets of his father's second life. I'm Fiona Sheehan and today on the Indo-Daily I'm joined by Ralph Regal, Southern correspondent with The Irish Independent to tell this story of a family searching for answers. Ralph, tell us, how did you meet John Jr.?
0: Yeah, it's a remarkable story, I suppose. It's just one of those happenstance things that, of course, I'm from Fermoy in North Cork, and that's where, where John Jr. is living. He's 74 years old, married to his wife, Nell, and they're living in the town. It just so happened I bumped into him on the street, and, of course, I work for the Irish Independent, do podcasts, do a little bit of radio work. And he said, could I have a word with you about a story? And I said, yeah, thinking it was something to do with uh, some case that I had covered or whatever. And he just started telling me his story and the search for his father. And he said, look, is there any chance you might be able to do something or could we do something? And I was intrigued because it's one of those stories that and you know it yourself and on like is that you come across stories and you almost have to do a double take because it's just so extraordinary um, that any family could go through this. And of course, you know, the, one of the great things about humankind is curiosity. And we all want to know how stories end. We, we We hate a situation of not knowing. And that's what really intrigued me about this story was that this man's father had walked out on the family almost 50 years ago and they didn't know what had happened to him and it was the not knowing that had really bothered them and I think John was at a stage where um, one of his brothers had passed away and I think he was kind of the sole surviving member of the family, and he decided he wanted to know and had been trying himself to do something about it in terms of trying to contact Of course, his father had served in the Irish Army, so he had contacted uh, military forces, but he just wasn't able to get that little piece of information that would unlock the puzzle for him. Take us back, so uh, tell us about John Sr. What do we know about him? Where was he originally from? Yeah, John Senior, he was born in Wales uh, in 1922. And for some reason, which we still don't understand why, he ended up in Ireland and was brought up um, in Whitlow as a child. Now, he enlisted in the Irish Army and he was given an honorary discharge in 1948. Now, but he obviously had been based in Cork. He had joined the army in Dublin but had been assigned to the, the Southern Brigade or the S- Southern Command and he was assigned to Fermoy, apparently to help in terms of building um, the camp in Fermoy. and while he was there he met a local girl and they got married and it, because he had gotten married and he had a young family he decided he would leave the army. So in 1952 he was married for four years at this stage and left the army for four years He went to England, as many, many um, men did at that time because of the economic circumstances in Ireland. The idea was that he would get a job in England, he would send money home. When they had saved sufficient money, he would get a job back in Ireland. But he didn't come back for almost 20 years. And uh, John Jr.'s mother, Sheila, um, the campion, of course, had, had a very tough time because her husband was in England. And she moved heaven and earth to support her family. She worked multiple jobs, um, she would do cleaning work, lots of different things like that in the town of Formoy to to look after her family and her two sons.
1: Do we know, were there any efforts made by the family to find John Senior? At what point did it become apparent that he had effectively disappeared off the radar?
0: I think within a couple of years of, of him going over in 1952, the family were aware that he wasn't coming back. Now, of course, this is an era b- before landlines were, were very commonplace and uh, no mobile phones, no Internet, no way of tracking people down. The, the only thing that people relied on, of course, was posts and, of course, written addresses, which they didn't have an up-to-date address for John Sr. So what had happened was the family had effectively waited for news, and John Jr. was about to get married in the early 1970s, 1973, 74, and lo and behold, a letter arrived from the UK, from John Sr., asking, could he come home?
1: What was the family's reaction at that point?
0: John and his brother, they took the view that they wanted whatever was best for their mother. And they seemed to realize that she would be happy, happiest if John Senior came home. And he noted that to me when we first did our interview back in February. Himself and his brother were moving away. They were adults. They were setting up their own um, families and lives at this stage. And they wanted their mother to be happy. And they came to the view that having their father return home would make her happy. And indeed it did. He arrived back, he attended the wedding, and in fact, some of the only photographs that the family have of John Sr. is of him attending John Jr.'s wedding uh, to his wife, Nell, in 1974. And a very happy family. Um, John said that he remembered his mother always working very hard and his mother being a very loving, devoted woman. But he said he seemed to remember her smiling most and being happiest when her husband was home.
1: So so it appears that he was just accepted back in, no questions. Were there any doubts raised by other members of the family or neighbours, or, or was this just seemed to be natural? Oh, well, he'd he just returned from the UK.
0: I'm sure that there were some reservations, I think particularly probably amongst his sons, because I think they obviously were were very hurt by the fact that this man had gone to the UK and for almost two decades had not come back to look after his family. Um, but I think their priority was their her mother. She had her husband back. He was a very hardworking man. He was a very talented tradesman. He could do carpentry work. He could do block laying. He could do anything. So it was an extra income for the family. And that meant a lot as well. But I think it was the fact that the family was reunited. And the, the, the children took the view that if their mother was happy, they were willing to go with that.
1: Ralph, is, there, is there any suggestion that John Senior was in touch with, with somebody at home who was giving him information?
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the most difficult things for the family to accept is that while they were left in a complete information vacuum in terms of John Senior's whereabouts, what kind of life he was leading, Um, who he was leading that life with in the UK, that there was someone in Formoy who was feeding him information about his Irish family. And it's very difficult for for, for the Irish family to accept that someone would have acted like that, that would have been feeding him information in the UK and updates about his Irish family, while knowing at the same time that the Irish family had no inkling of where this man was, what kind of life he was leading, and who he was leading that life with.
1: The second coming didn't last too long though, did it?
0: No, it didn't. And I really can't put it any better than John Jr. from our previous interview where he said he could forgive his father for abandoning the family the first time. he could never forgive him for the second abandonment. And what actually happened was um, he had got a job. John Sr. had come back. He had settled back into life in Fermoy. He got a job. He was never out of work. Everything seemed to be happy with the family. John Jr. was married and was working in Cork City at the time. And he told the story that coming up to Christmas in, I think it was 1974, he was coming back to Fermoy He was on the bus. The bus was coming down the main street. He looked out the window of the bus and he saw his father walking up the pavement against the bus uh, with a suitcase on his shoulder. And he thought no more about it. He wasn't quite sure what was involved. But when he got home, his father had left and his father never returned. And what was extraordinary was that from that day to this, The father had never made any contact. They never had a forwarding address. They didn't know where he was in England. Um, They had their suspicions because apparently what had happened, a couple of weeks before he disappeared for the second time, a letter had arrived for John Senior from the UK. And surreptitiously, John Junior's brother had opened this letter and then resealed it. But when he opened it and read it, it was actually from a lady in England writing to say that if John Senior didn't return to the UK, she was going to send his child to Ireland, to his home. And that letter was sealed. Obviously, the father got it afterwards and opened it, but he never let on, never said a word. Interestingly, there was no address on that letter, so the family never knew where the letter had been sent from, bar the fact that it had a UK postmark. So th-
1: there is an explanation of of sorts uh, for the, the disappearance. What was the family's reaction, particularly Sheila's, to that, that second departure?
0: She was devastated. Um, I think the circumstances of it, the fact that he again vanished without really a detailed explanation... The fact that they had no forwarding address for him, the fact that they had no knowledge of where he was in the UK, what he was doing. The letter had indicated to them that there was a second family in the UK, which is probably something I think that may have been suspected for some time. But the letter was taken as confirmation that John Sr. had a second family in the UK. It was devastating for, for Sheila because the United family that she had so desperately wanted was again fractured and she found herself back in the situation that she had between 1952 and 1973. And she died shortly afterwards. I think she died within a decade of her husband going back to the UK. And, you know, John Jr. often says that he reckons that a broken heart was definitely part of that.
1: Since you have spoken to John Jr., earlier on this year. There has been movement in the case in terms of trying to provide some answers to the family.
0: Yeah, very much so. And I have to say it's one of those times where... You know, you do these kinds of stories and you hope for a breakthrough or you hope that a family gets the answers that they're looking for. And in this case, we believe that the family are now getting the answers and the blanks filled in in the mystery that they've been trying for so long to solve. And what had happened was, of course, we'd written the story in The Irish Independent back in February. It got a good reaction. Um, But the critical part of it was that the RT Radio 1, their documentary team, had decided that they would look at doing something on this as well. And one of the things that they did was they hired a genealogist, and the genealogist was able to dig into birth and death records. And the genealogist believes that having studied birth and death records, both in Ireland and in the UK, they have traced where uh, John Senior had gone. For, for many years, John Jr. felt that his father might have gone back to Wales, which is where he was, of course, born. And that's where he had tried to focus a lot of his inquiries. Now, he had gone himself to the uh, Department of the Defence and the Defence Forces because, of course, his father... Had spent time in the army, and he was hoping that there might be some kind of records that might indicate if is there was there a relative in the UK, was there another address in the UK that he could chase up. But really, he got nowhere from it. And then, lo and behold, the genealogist tract um, where they believe that John Senior had gone, not to Wales, but to Southern England, and that he had passed away incredibly. He had lived apparently until he was 87 years old and had died in 2009. And indeed, as John Junior and his the family here had suspected, there is a second family in the UK. And it is believed that he has a number of half-siblings in the UK. Now, I suppose it's important to point out that birth and death records are not sufficient. The only way to absolutely confirm is by doing DNA tests. And that's in the process of being completed at the moment. The second family are going to be approached to see, first of all, are they willing to make contact? And second of all, are they willing to go the route of definitive checks to see that actually, yes, They are half siblings and that is going to be very much the thrust of the documentary that's being done and hopefully follow on articles that we're going to be doing in the Irish Independent later this year.
1: Yeah, so that daughter that was referred to in the letter, uh, ahead of the second disappearance, it's believed that she, who is a, a half-sister of John Jr., that, that she's still alive and well and living in the UK.
0: That's correct. And that not only uh, is there a half-sister, but there are also half-brothers there as well. So there are a number of siblings that are in the UK. Um, the family are currently in the process of waiting for an intermediary to make negotiations to see do the... The two families want to meet. Uh, The indications are that the half siblings in England are younger than the Irish family and I know certainly from John Jr he wanted to know the full story of where his father was, what was his life like I mean some of the answers I suspect he may never get um, of obviously why he acted like he did, why did he leave the Irish family twice in the circumstances in which he did, I suspect that those are questions that may never be answered but the, the positive side is that at least if two half families are reunited and there is some Kind of a bridge um, across the years and across the water between them. It is some positive to come out of this story.
1: Does John feel he's going to get closure
0: on this? Um, I can't speak for him. I know certainly that his wife, Nell, is delighted that at least he has some of the answers to something that he has been pursuing for many, many years. And I think the most difficult thing for John Jr. was not knowing. And I think now he does know. And There may be answers that he didn't expect in certain areas. There may be contacts that he didn't expect in other areas in terms of contacts, possibly between the Irish half-family and the UK-based half-family. I think one of the most difficult things for both John Jr. and his wife, Nell, was why John Sr. acted as he did. And the very fact, I think one of the most difficult things for them to accept is that this man apparently lived until 2009 and never made any contact attempted contact, despite all the major milestones and events in the Irish family's lives uh, since between 1974
1: and 2009. And my thanks to Ralph Regal. I'm Fian Jean, and today's episode was produced by Garrett Mulhall, researched by Eva Breslin, with sound by Gavin Hennessy. If you enjoy the Indo daily, Don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.